I have a new theme for my year. What's that? Write it down. Okay. So what do you mean by that? I mean, if you say it twice, write it down. As in, what's an example? Like what, what prompted you to want to make so, this your new mantra? Yeah. So I got this from uh, The Great CEO Within, which is the sweet book I'm reading. And this is one of the pieces of advice in there. And the reason it's top of mind for me right now is I just published a page on the Tuple marketing site, which is like, send this to your boss if you're trying to convince them to. Yeah, I saw that tweet. Yeah, because this happens a lot. It's like the developers try it and then they want to sell it to up the chain. And so like, I've seen this happen enough times and I was like, I should write a thing. And like people have various questions. I'm like, I should write this thing up. And so I finally like actually did it. I'm trying to like ship more writing like that. So it's. I can stop saying things over and over in email, for example. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Make things reusable, basically. Create artifacts for things. This sounds like a, a Brian Castle area of expertise to me. Yep, I'd agree <laughs> with that. And yeah, and yeah. like it's it's this thing has been on my list of like, I should probably make this page. This is like been a thing I've wanted to do for a long time. And so I just like this week, I was replying to yet another person and being like, I should totally have a thing that says this already, but here's what you might say. And I was like, no, this is stupid. How do those conversations happen? Like, does someone email you saying, like, do they say, oh, we love it. I need to talk to my boss. Yep. Basically. But they're they are they're not asking you for like advice on pitching it to their boss, are they? Yeah, not, not usually. So in the same day, someone said, we sent like a cancellation survey. And this person was like, oh, I'm not actually canceling. I'm just going to like, I just have my, my personal card on file and I'm going to can- cancel so I can like convince my boss to buy it. And then also I had a sales call and he said, he asked me a lot of questions and I was like, these should all be written down somewhere. And like, he also was going to do the same thing, which is sell it to the rest of the team. And and it was clear the questions he was asking me were like his, like the first questions other people were going to ask him kind of thing. Like, aren't we already paying for this kind of thing? I guess when you think about it, maybe I'm wrong, but if you go to like tuple.app, there's not really a lot of like app writing in general right like if you look at some other products like a lot of times when i'm gonna buy something i'll go and like read the docs or read a bunch of stuff i mean like when i was a kid i was like so guilty of like reading the entire instruction manual for like anything or whatever buy before like i bought it like i'd buy some music gear and i'd be like okay i need to learn how every knob and every option and stuff works it's interesting to think about like is that something that you should be trying to like an experience you should be helping people have in software too. Yeah. I don't know. I actually, this is another idea like along the write it down theme that I've been kicking around, which is like, we don't actually have a manual. Are you supposed to have manuals anymore though? Like that's where I'm conflicted. If you look at like the video game industry, right? Like there's not really video game manuals at all anymore. Everyone's just figured out like we can actually just teach you how to play the game while you're playing it. But I remember as a kid, it was like the street fighter two manual. Okay. I'm going to read this thing. Like, Uh, cover to cover you know what i mean i did like a mom test style poll on twitter where i was like how often do you like when's the last time you read a manual for some a tool you use and everyone was like never f that i never do it and i was like okay maybe we don't need a manual but i actually i think some people would read it it's becoming a more complicated tool and there's like lots of little edge cases and nooks and crannies and like actually writing it down somewhere once is better than what we're doing which is like people who don't realize there are certain features that we have or like that don't understand why this thing works this way because it is weird because you know it should be better but it it is what it is right now kind of thing so i think i think it might be good to do i don't think it could hurt at all because all you're doing is increasing like the surface area of ways for people to interact with your stuff it's just like more places people can see things related to the app and maybe they'll see like a feature in there that is like whoa i never even thought about that or wow that is something i didn't expect them to have and since they have that i actually am way more interested in trialing now than i was before again can't hurt hard to know how much it'll actually help but definitely yeah. can't hurt should i call it a manual or should we call it docs uh, that's hard to say manual kind of has like this I could see how you wouldn't think it has this like negative connotation with it. Like this needs a manual. Are you, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. But it also kind of has like a flight manual. Like there's sort of like a coolness to it too. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of depends on the framing, but maybe there's like another word you can find. That's like, uh, like even if it was like the tuple operators manual, you know what I mean? Uh, Where it's like, you're almost, cool. almost taking the piss a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know. I think we should do it, even if we end up mostly linking to it, like when we're doing support. 
I still think it would actually be pretty useful just to have good answers to all the stuff written down mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Yep. I think that would be good. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, I've been saying that I needed to ship this, like make a thing like this for so long. And then I was like getting, I was typing again for like the 20th time. Like I should really have a pit. Never mind. And I was just like, I'm going to give this to you by Friday evening. So were you typing it like by hand over and over again? Like this hadn't even graduated to like text expander territory um, yet? Like the apology for not having this page. No, it was, was still bespoke every time. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. I would like occasionally answer one-off questions, you know, of various mm-hmm. kinds but anyway it's it's out there and i'm asking for feedback so hopefully some people yeah. will tell me if it's good i like it i think it's an interesting idea in general too because related to what i was asking earlier like are people asking you for advice i'm like oh i gotta ask my boss if we can buy this i'm not sure the best way to do it like people aren't asking it, right they're just generally saying like hey yeah uh i'm taking off my personal card want to switch over the business just gotta like run it by management get it approved or whatever what's cool about like what you're doing is it's like you're not like reacting to some like specific question it's more like noticing like okay someone is about to be in a situation that like we can help them succeed in which is going to help us it's like very proactive in a way right um it's like oh by the way we have this whole like guide here in case like you need some ideas on convincing your manager that this is going to be worthwhile totally so i think that's yeah. pretty cool thanks yeah i'm i feel pretty i'm proud of myself <laughs> and uh i was thinking we can throw it in the uh trial ending email mm-hmm. so it's like it's, by the way if you are now about to go sell this to your manager or maybe like throw it like send it to people like a few days before that like maybe five or six days in or something yeah. something like that yep and then maybe we also want like a sell this to your teammates kind of kind of deal yeah yeah i don't know write Can't it down hurt. that's the theme Can't that's my hurt. theme for 2020 good idea i like it what else is going on in tuple land like are you doing a lot of interesting technical work lately because it feels like since like the webcam stuff my experience of tuple hasn't really changed that much yeah not much is happening above the hood i guess but lots of stuff is happening in beneath the hood below the hood anyway we're working on the guts actually the most unreliable part of tuple right now is the online users list like weirdly enough, that's actually really hard to do. Like like getting presence right, like who's online, are they available, like handle it when the computer goes to sleep and when it wakes up and when they lose internet and when they switch Wi-Fi, like just like a lot of like, it's, it's actually kind of hard. And on top of that, running uh, Heroku dinos with like thousands of connections that are persistent to them is like not really what they're best at. Like they want to do like, you know, HTTP like, and then leave. Spencer is right now uh, just got like a proof of concept of like using the service called Ably, which is basically like outsourced web sockets hosting with presence and channels and PubSub. That's pretty cool. I've never yeah. heard of that. Like I know a lot of people use like Pusher for stuff yep. for WebSocket stuff, but I don't think Pusher is really like a presence style WebSocket stuff. Pusher does the same thing it seems like, but like we immediately ran into this limitation that it has where it's like, oh, you can only have a hundred people in a channel. It's like, well, we have teams that have more than 100 people. So, and I like tweeted at them and I was like, can I get around this? And they were like, maybe contact sales. And I was like, okay. Yeah, that's a bummer. But yeah, I mean, there's something else out there. So cool. Yeah. And I'm bummed because Pusher's design was a lot better, but Ably straight up said they could do what we wanted. So I was like, okay. And then Spencer liked their Swift client a lot. He said it was really high quality. So he was like, all right, we're going to try these guys. That's cool. That's one less hairy annoying piece of tech to have to wrangle totally yeah we didn't realize what we were wrangling at the time because like action cable like is like rails's persistent connection thing with web sockets and it's all like magical it just works and it's really easy and we kind of like tortured it uh long enough and it was like okay yeah I, I gotta feel like what you guys are doing is probably like pushing the limits of like the situations action cable is designed for like if you think action cable came out of base camp what is base camp using web sockets for it's probably not super hardcore complicated or like long 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 lived like open connections and stuff yeah they have that little campfire feature where for a given project there's like a chat room and so i imagine that's what powers that and it also just could be like we just don't know enough or like we're just doing it wrong or something sure 
it could also just be things are harder, slower with Ruby than they are with who knows what Abel is using under the hood. Like maybe you do, but <laughs> I do not know. Uh, probably Erlang, if I had to guess, like if you're doing that kind of thing. Yeah, that seems like the right choice, but who knows <laughs> if that's what they're using. Yeah, yeah, right. Or JavaScript. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those two. Yeah, or Node. Node is yeah, actually I think, I think probably Node's. not a bad choice either. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see. So like that's like a big effort that will sort of never like really like people won't be super excited that like, hey, the thing that used to work not that well works better sort of. Because like it mostly works, but it's just oh, I we did a call and then it came and like the call crashed or like something went wrong and then my teammate wasn't online and then I called him and he didn't see my call and like just those like this just isn't quite working stuff will hopefully go away. In the same vein, like we're also working on some auth stuff. As you yeah, saw I saw you about. tweet about that sort of uh, today about wanting mm-hmm. kind of wishing you were using auth zero instead of yes. device. I guess at this point you're using. Yeah, exactly. Is that something that you actually might want to switch still at this point? Or do you feel like it's like, uh, we kind of like have it now. So yeah, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to say we're pretty close to like fingers crossed what we think is the end of this journey. <laughs> like what, like we'll have the providers who want on there and, and yeah. And like, like what, what do you have right now? Like I know email password. I know that you wanted SSO stuff, which is why you switched to devise in the first place. Right. Yep. And we but have that you, now. And then you mentioned to me on telegram, something about like being able to do social authentication, like GitHub and stuff. Like, is that something that you're actually adding now? Yes. Yep. That's I think that's coming. a good idea. I actually really enjoy using GitHub to log into any developer-related service that I use. Cool. Yeah, I, I do so. too. I think it's good. They do a good job of explaining like what permissions are about to happen and like restricting it to various things. Like I, the other day on, I don't know if this was Netlify. It's like nice to have like GitHub as like your developer identity. You know what I mean? Like it's just conceptually kind of feels correct in some ways. I don't know. Whereas like everything else that's like signing with Facebook or Google, it's like I don't really want to do either of those things. Because those are just like they don't represent my what I want my universal identity to be. But with GitHub, for some reason, it feels like yeah, kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels like it's like congruent with our you know who we are and who we serve. I think we might do uh, like G Suite or like Google as well. Do that off because like they're basically they're more or less the same. Like once you do one, it's kind of like you get the other one too. I've heard people say that it can be a bad idea to support too many because people forget like what service they use to log in and now they like create multiple accounts by mistake and so true i have that same problem yeah totally me too all the time it's like yeah it's like okay on airbnb for some reason i signed in with facebook four years ago and so now i have to always remember like signing with facebook and yeah i have to unblock facebook in my host file and then (laughs) just to be able to authenticate Yeah. yeah that's brutal we might be able to do some smart stuff with that, though. Like if you come in from a different provider and we say, mm, we don't have a Google account with that email, but maybe you want to try GitHub. Kind yeah, you have to be a little bit careful there because um, I've seen people do stuff like I, I maintained like a social authentication library for Laravel for a little while. And uh, a feature people wanted all the time was like, well, if I log in with Facebook and then I try to log in with GitHub, but my GitHub email is the same as my Facebook email, just automatically log me into the same account. And at first that sounds like it would be fine. But if the person who logged in with Facebook doesn't have a GitHub account and GitHub doesn't require um, verifying your email before you can use social authentication. Well, now someone can sign up for a GitHub account using your email, never confirm the account because they don't have access to your email, but now they can get access to your tuple account where you signed in with Facebook using the same address. So lots of, uh, you've got to think of hard about some of those things sometimes. Totally. Yeah, I, th- I think if, it, if I think if we're going to have one, GitHub makes the most sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Everyone has a GitHub account that knows what pair programming is. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's probably true. <laughs> Yeah. close enough to it that it's it's a safe bet yeah so yeah that's what that's what we're and i'm doing like marketing stuff like asking dhh to tweet about us yeah i saw that that was pretty awesome that was pretty um, sick. there was a typo in his tweet which saddened me a little bit but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. i could get i could get past it did that drive a lot of so um, uh yes anything the truest answer is like i don't know because i'm still bad at marketing attribution and i'm still working on it <laughs> excuse me david can you put these utm parameters at the end of the link before you type in this word? exactly i would love it if you could share this particular link <laughs> um twitter does that for you i think actually 
they like they append little... something that's like the tweet ID that it came from or something. That would be smart if they do that. I've never really paid attention. They do that t.co link shortener thing. So all the links you see on Twitter are actually like fake links and they actually go through their their shortener first. And I'm pretty sure it like sets up those parameters to so you can see what tweet it was. True. Yeah, we have like kind of the reverse problem a lot of times where we'll be getting like a bunch of sales on refactoring UI and don't really know why. And then we'll go and look on Google Analytics and see like, okay, well, there's some Twitter t.co slash jumble jumble link that's sending us a bunch of traffic, but we can't like backtrack to find out what tweet that link was typed in. But if you know the tweet and you want to check the tweet, well, you can just look at DHH's tweet, right click, copy link address and see like what the string was there and yeah, I thought I saw on some UI, like the, like analytics UI, where like it, it figured out what tweet it was. So sure, that's probably true too. And I just do not use analytics or care about it enough to figure it out. But in my quick perusals of it, sometimes it feels like, yeah, what is this? We had a lot of traffic recently coming from some like Spanish tech blog. It's interesting to look at analytics sometimes. Like usually, I kind of don't pay a lot of attention to any of that stuff. I think like. It's a really small lever compared to other things, like trying to optimize for that. But sometimes it is interesting. Totally. Yeah. So my answer is like, I don't know for sure if this was it, but the day after he tweeted that, we had we set our, our like a new record for number of trials. Oh, okay. So I mean, so, strong good. correlation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, we're having a really good month. December like kind of slowed down and like we kind of just like wasn't growing as fast, but like things are definitely picking back up now. People seem to say that that's typical. Mm-hmm. I always yeah, I heard that. Hear that makes sense. It was slow for us too until like probably the close to the end of the second week of January or third week of January. Even like book sales were slow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, I think we had the same yeah. thing going on. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, holidays and whatnot. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, you're up to your usual tricks. And uh, obsessing over details and throwing away work. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I think that's kind of your process. Yeah, it's unfun. Yeah, like we were working on Tailwind UI still, of course. We've been working on it for too long and we wanted to get a f- early version out in December. But we've actually basically started from scratch even since the date that we originally planned to put out like the early version. So looking back, I can barely even understand how that happened i think like we made the mistake of designing a bunch of components sort of in isolation so like we just like have an artboard and sketch or whatever and be like okay let's design a table make a table that kind of looks nice and then we'd like play around with it combining stuff like after we'd probably spent like a month and a half designing components or whatever and then realize that like uh it just doesn't look as good in like a UI context as we expected, because maybe like we used a 16 pixel font for all the table rows and that seemed totally fine. But now like when you put a nav bar up there and stuff, now all the text in the tables looks too big. It's like, so we decided like this was a horrible mistake. And the way that we should have been doing everything from the beginning was like designing full screens and then like pulling stuff out, um, which has been really good. Like what we ended up doing is, um, We brainstormed on a few like complete application ideas. So the one that we ended up taking the furthest was like a a make-believe hiring app. So say like you want to create like a job posting for your company and you want to like keep track of how many people have applied and what stage they are in the hiring process. And so we actually like wireframed out like that entire app, like the actual product experience and made sure that it all made sense in terms of like all the features and how you navigate between all the screens. And then we did like high fidelity versions of all that stuff and started extracting stuff from that. And all that stuff looks way better than the stuff that we did before. And it's actually been really nice too, because we've like, we've discovered components that like, I don't think we ever would have thought to just like create on their own, but there's like little sort of like ancillary pieces to UIs that like you forget about, like even things like headings that go above like a section of a page, it doesn't feel like a component, but it actually is like a really interesting category because there's all these different layouts. So maybe you have the title with like an action fully justified all the way to the other side, or you have like some metadata underneath it, or there's just all sorts of things that like we never would have like came up with um, if we weren't designing something from scratch. And all of it is like super real too, because we like 
we really made sure to design like an actual application that uh, actually makes sense. So feel pretty good about that. But um, in actually building stuff out, things are a lot harder than they are in the design stage. So like I sent out an email yesterday where I talked through this like whole horrible problem of getting like text inputs and buttons to be the right height or to even be like a good height or for things to even work. It's so easy in Sketch or Figma to like make the button the exact height you want, make the text the exact size you want, hit like the vertical center button and it looks beautiful. And then you try to do the same thing with HTML and CSS and either because of the font you're using or the line height value or whatever, it renders it off center by a pixel and there's like no way to fix it without kind of reimagining how you actually build the component. So we keep losing lots of time to like little completely unpredictable obstacles, which has been frustrating. But I'm hoping that at the end of the day, like uh, not half-assing any of that stuff will mean that this is like the the one UI kit or theme or whatever you want to call it that people actually buy where they actually have a good experience with it. And that actually leads to more sales because I think traditionally these are the sorts of things that look sexy on like the marketplace where they have all these nice screenshots and then you buy it and realize uh, I can't actually do anything good with this or I'm going to end up with something that kind of looks okay but under the hood just feels like a disaster so trying our best to optimize for that and hopefully hopefully it it actually helps but I do worry a lot that we are past the point of like diminishing returns and that kind of like quantifiable area so I feel like that's kind of where you live though I think that's true um and so far it's worked but yeah i I don't want to believe it's necessarily going to work forever either so yeah i actually have a question which is the problem with the previous version was you were doing components in isolation and then you found when you combine them they didn't really work well together and so you had better success designing a whole page but then you're still going to split those into components like i'm not going to take your whole job site so why won't those pieces not harmonize with my things I guess it depends on how you're imagining using this. Like, are you thinking we have our existing tuple app and I need a table, so I'm just yeah. going to grab one of your tables? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that seems like an impossible to solve problem. Like, we can't, like, predict every single person's existing design aesthetic. So I think we're generally optimizing more for people who are, like, building something new. I do still want people to look at it as something that's valuable, even if you just want to augment your existing site because maybe we need a responsive table and this is like the grossest quirkiest thing to build with html and css like you should have seen this shit that i was doing literally 45 minutes ago before we got on this call and it can be really helpful just to get the bones from us and know like okay everything is structurally sound and working and now i can just like yeah we use a two pixel border so i'll swap that out or we use blue text so i'll swap that out or whatever right so i think it is definitely still viable for people in those situations i think it's harder to it's harder to get that messaging right because it is more work of course because it's not just like copy it and it's 100 percent gonna work and we have been testing everything that we do so like we build the whole screen, extract a bunch of components, and then we'll kind of categorize those components and think like, okay, well, this screen had like a list on it. We only have one list in the list category. We'd like to launch with like five. So let's design four more and make sure that we're like swapping them out in the real page and making sure that like it still works. And that's been really good so far, but slow going. We were planning to launch like the last second last week of February because after that we got a bunch of trips and crap coming up. And if we don't launch then, then it's going to be postponed by like another eight weeks, which is just unacceptable. So perfect. This is good. I mean, this was this was like uh, how refactoring UI went. It's how too, everything right? goes. There needs to be like a deadline that like you take seriously for one reason or another. Right. Yeah. And then you just go nuts on it for a while because you're like, I'm shipping by this date. Come hell or high water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So first of all, <laughs> I feel like this moment was so you because I messaged you at one point because I was like, I wanted to put like a little announcement banner on the Tuple site. And you were like, I was like, hey, in this thing, in the Tailwind UI, like, do you have like a little announcement thing? And you're like, no, we just have thousands of components that no one actually wants. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious. And that was just like the most you answer to that Yeah, question. well, I mean, you're picking at like a very like a very open wound in my psyche with this whole project, right? Which is that I always fear that no matter how much we build and design, um, we can only ever cover like 25% of cases that anyone ever runs into. And I, I hope that number is like completely 
incorrect, right? But who knows, like, when you look at any given application, like, if you were to really pick everything apart, how much of what you grab is like truly general purpose and generic and would work for any SaaS app and how much of it is like quite bespoke, even if it still all fits in with the other stuff. And we can only really serve like the general purpose stuff easily and well, I think, right? Because at least that's where we have to start. We have to make sure that that's covered. And then we can get into like, okay, well, like this is like three out of 10 sites need this component. So we'll design that too even if it feels like a little bit more specific but yeah i'm always worried that like we have some blind spot to some like truly obvious category of like ui widgets that people need that uh that we don't have yet and that was exactly one of them so (laughs) we still don't have those designed but we uh we kind of have a schedule in place now like this week we're I guess today is Friday, so that's the end of that. But we were working on all the application UI stuff this week, and then we decided that next week we're going to stop building components and just do spend the whole week doing all that kind of meta work necessary for launching. So like making sure we have a bunch of emails prepared, all the Gumroad stuff is set up, like the actual app works where people can log in and just make sure all that stuff's bulletproof. And just feel like, okay, well, if we had to launch next Friday, that like the system is in place to do that, even if we feel like we're still light on components. And then we can spend like literally till the 11th hour, just like designing and churning out like new stuff, knowing that it's just like one button to just launch whatever's there when we're done, instead of leaving some of that like really important, can't launch without it work until the 11th hour, so. Sounds like you've done this before. Well, usually all that stuff happens in the 11th hour. Like usually 3 a.m. me and Steve are trying to design Twitter cards for a freaking landing page because it's <laughs> right, like right, the very course. last thing that we forgot about. You know what I mean? Oh man, Twitter cards. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there. Still lots of stuff to do, lots of decisions to make. And mm-hmm. So that email you, you sent with um, all the nerding out over like line height and whatnot, mm-hmm. did people love that? I've never got such good feedback from an email ever. I knew actually. it. Yeah. Yeah. I and fell asleep as soon as I started reading it, but I was like, <laughs> everyone's going to Because you don't really this. remember what like programming characters look like <laughs> on the screen, right? Like, That's right. Is that a semicolon or is, is that an underscore? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I was like, I, I was like, is, I don't understand how this all works in Keynote. Like, that doesn't, <laughs> like, where would you even type this on a slide? <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. Like, um, I haven't sent out an email since the middle of December and probably the last two emails that I sent out were very much like kind of more update emails like, oh, here's what we've been working on. And they kind of felt like maybe forced isn't the word, but I I've, I always, when I'm in this kind of launch cycle for a, a product, I really like doing an email like every two weeks, hopefully every one week. And I, I get stressed if I haven't gotten an email out like in that period of time. So I'm like, oh, I got to get an email out this week. It, to me, it feels like putting up my podcast. It's like, yep, yeah, I got to stick with the schedule. But I really, really prefer when I have like some really meaty topic to put in the newsletter that's not not just like, well, this is what we got done this week and this is what we're thinking for pricing. I, I like it when it's more like educational and entertaining in some way, right? So this one was really well-timed in the sense that we basically like literally just solved that problem finally a couple days ago. And I, I was all still fresh in my head and I thought, well, people will, will enjoy this story because there's like a lot of this, it's still a passionate topic in my head, right? I'm not like going back and trying to like write about something we solved three weeks ago. So, but yeah, people loved it, which is good. That just is reaffirms my belief that that's the right type of content to put in these update emails. Just give people like the behind the scenes stuff. Like you've even talked about on this on the show with like, then you send stuff to the tuple list, right? Like they like hearing about like, we fixed this bug and you wouldn't even believe like what caused it or like people want to nerd out about stuff, right? That's exactly what what I was thinking as I read it. Like it it reminded me of like, this is like quote unquote, way too much detail. Like this is just like, you just went insane on like this like particular edge case of a thing and how frustrating it was and like all the things you tried and the eventual solution. And I was, and it just like reminded me of like this kind of stuff people actually do eat up in, in real life where it's like when we talk about like the crazy reproduction steps and like, or like a super niche bug, like people go nuts over it. They're so into it. Yeah. People love a good story, right? So yeah, yeah, that too. Actually yeah. wanted to ask you, like, how do you think you got good at writing? I don't know. I don't really think of myself as good at writing. <laughs> okay. Well, you are. Um, so how do you think that happened? Hmm, I've written a lot of things. 
I guess. Like I've written two books at this point. So that kind of helps. And I think I was pretty deliberate about the writing style in those books. I don't remember where I first like picked up the, the advice, but something that like uh, always kind of sticks out of my head when I think about like writing in general is like how angry I am at how the education system just like teaches everybody to write in the worst possible, most incorrect way. Like giving you like page requirements like oh you must write like an eight page essay even if you can make your point in five pages now you have to add these stupid long academic words and everything to kind of just like you know what i mean like they reward you for writing something that nobody can read uh whereas in the real world your best bet is to write like a third grade reading comprehension level you have to work really hard to unlearn that style of writing i feel like and maybe i don't know what it's like for everyone like what their experiences were like but um I didn't really like writing in school or anything because of that. But then I started reading stuff like when I read like the 37 Signals books, like getting real. And it's like a chapter fits on like half a page. And sometimes they're only like nine sentences long. And like all the information is there. This is how I want to consume information. You know what I mean? And just having those like really positive experiences, reading stuff that was super succinct and super to the point had a big impression on me. So it takes effort and and being mindful to achieve that in your own writing. But I think that's something that's helped me a lot is just trying to figure out how can I say this in the fewest words possible? How can I make it as clear as possible? Like refactoring UI, there's like probably as many pictures as words in that whole book. (laughs) I think the shortest chapter is probably literally like eight sentences. And we worked really hard to keep them that short. So I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily like if terse and succinct and clear is necessarily triple equals good writing you know what i mean but that's probably what i uh strive to do the most in my writing anyways yeah i i feel like that plus a bit of personality i think the personality is helpful too and that that takes deliberate effort too it's easy to like try be safe with your writing yeah it's a lot more enjoyable to read if you can if you can make it funny without like trying to tell a joke you know what i mean like definitely have some personality in there for sure totally people go into this like business writing mode which yeah. is just like, I must strip out any sense of humanity. Mm-hmm. There's like a DHH gave a talk at like startup school or something in like 2008. Uh, it's like a really old one. And he has this big tirade in it about like this press release that Domino's put out at some point. And then like he rewrites it and it's like two sentences and so much more human. When you hear both, it's like, I like I would want to be on this on the side of the company that wrote the second one. But the first one, they kind of feel like this like corporate overlord that like I want to stick it to, you know? I noticed a, a refactoring UI ad in the Tailwind docs. Oh, so that means you're an ad block user. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Um, yeah, so that was actually an idea I had the other day. So I was looking at a couple... I don't know. This is pretty common with open source tools. Like everyone uses carbon ads on their site, right? To try and make a little bit of money. And like you actually can make pretty good money off of those carbon ads if you uh, have a lot of traffic. Like I think Tailwind does like 1500 bucks a month from ads on there. And they're not like really annoying, obtrusive ads. But I feel like probably most of the people visiting the site have some sort of ad blocker (laughs) turned on. And if you look at a lot of other open source tools, what they do in those situations is they like detect that ad block is on and they show like a little message where the ad would be that says like, we need your support. Like, please like whitelist us in your ad blocker so we can to help like sustain development on the tool. Right. At first I thought, yeah, I should do that. And then I thought, wait a minute, like I actually have stuff that people can just buy that if someone bought that would make me way more money than these ads um so yeah i just threw a little script in there to detective ad block was on and i show like a refactoring ui ad in the sidebar now instead and i'm considering just like getting rid of the carbon ads altogether and only advertising refactoring ui because it wouldn't take a lot of sales to make up the carbon ad money i have like google analytics set up i have like utm parameters on that this is the first time i've ever added utm parameters to a link in my life by the way, because I don't even know what they mean. I just thought, oh, I need some way to be able to tell people clicked this particular link. I, I think that's the important thing for some people to, to hear is like that, like what matters when you click to focus on. Yeah, oh, like 100%. You've, you've done pretty I all right know, in the internet marketing world. Yeah, uh, I don't know what that. any of this stuff means. Uh, but I thought, okay, well, let's like test it because if it drives a lot of traffic to us then yeah i should just get rid of the ads and just like only advertise our own stuff especially since it's like so it's such a good fit for people 
on the Tailwind CSS docs already anyways, right? Right. Um, well, I, except that I, I have some bad news, which is I submitted your new ad URL to uh, uBlock Origin as, a, <sighs> as an ad site. Brutal. So, <laughs> so now you're going to have to detect that and show me a different ad. Can they actually even do that? Can they just like block server rendered links on a page or do they just do like JavaScript snippets? Uh, I don't know like what their position is on that. Like I could certainly like I could write my own rule that would block it. Sure, if I cared to. All right, all right. I don't know well, if they would. I don't. I don't think they would block a server like your own thing though. I think that, that, that maybe that's against their morals. Maybe hopefully. Yeah. So, anyways, like I've been trying to figure out like how many people have been clicking that link. So it ties into our whole Google Analytics discussion from before, and I'm having a hard time knowing if it's successful or not because I guess what I'm what I realized the other day, I went to see like, okay, how many people are clicking from this thing? And I'll pull up like some stats here. So say like I went from like the last seven days, say, because we've had stuff on there. So it doesn't even show up in my top ten like referrals at all on like the Tailwind analytics. It looks like it's number it's number eleven. So seventy-five people clicked it, which is fine. I guess I don't know. So we also have a section on the Tailwind Docs, like this resources section in the sidebar that just links to a bunch of stuff. And the first thing in there is refactoring UI. It's just like web page content now. It's not like doesn't look like an ad or whatever, right? And that drove 341 clicks, even though the other thing is like permanently on the page for anyone with ad block enabled, right? But I think what I'm realizing is that anyone with ad block enabled who would see that sidebar likely would not be served the Google Analytics script. So I wouldn't even know that they visited the site. Does that sound right to you? Like if someone has ad block enabled, then Google Analytics is never even going to know anyways. So that has me thinking about like server side analytics now, even though really what I should be not thinking about at all is analytics. Um, (laughs) But it had me thinking like I run everything through Cloudflare. Cloudflare has analytics, but they don't have like marketing analytics unless I couldn't find it. They just have kind of like, oh, this is how many monthly people visited blah 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 they don't let you do like okay this is like how many people came with this utm parameter these are the referrals that came through and stuff like that um and and you actually don't even really care about that like you want to know how many people purchased after clicking yes exactly so you got to keep that going and like get it to the purchase event yeah that sounds like too much work so really like all this tells me is just go with my gut and do what i think is probably the most beneficial thing to do and then just let it go and focus on making good stuff that increases my impact on the world. So sure. That's probably the the meta strategy that yeah. work better. Yeah, but I thought that was kind of a cool little thing to do anyways. Um we'll see. Maybe I will swap out the carbon ads at some point because it's nice to just be linking your own stuff. Like That's true. You mean you dropped podcast ads? I did drop the podcast ads, but I don't know if you listened to the last one. You probably didn't definitely didn't um at the very end of the podcast where i normally say like thanks to blah 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 for sponsoring i said like you know you may notice like i don't do any sponsors on this podcast anymore if you do want to support the show the best way is to go to adamwatham.me slash courses and see if there's anything there you're interested and pick that up and that's it but now what i'm doing is in the show notes i just like have like a sporting the show section with just like a link to my four books and courses just at the very bottom of the show notes after everything else and i wouldn't be surprised if that ends up driving more as much or more revenue than i was getting from the other stuff anyways Mm -hmm. but yet again you're not gonna figure it out (laughs) no not gonna figure (laughs) it out don't care yeah um for me it's just like in what ways can i like let people know that there are things you can buy from me without me like ramming it down your throat and i think i am striking a decent balance of that right now but uh we'll see we got to figure out the same thing with tailwind ui like how do we it seems like obviously we have to like cross promote that with the tailwind css right so like there's a whole component section on tailwindcss.com where you can look at a bunch of stuff that we built two years ago and i think what we're going to do is replace all of that stuff with components from tailwind ui and just have probably more categories so take like almost every category in tailwind ui and put like one or two components from tailwind ui there so that way if someone searches like tailwind css pricing grid they find a website called pricing grids at tailwindcss.com, which should be the number one organic search result because it's like the official site. And then when someone goes there, there's like two pricing tables. And then there's like a call to action. That's like, these are taken from Tailwind UI. 
If you're interested in more and are also interested in supporting development of the framework, go check it out. And I think that will be a really interesting way to uh, just like drive people over there. Like I think that's a huge advantage that most like theme authors like will never have. Just like basically integrating advertising your commercial product like directly into the documentation in a way that doesn't even feel annoying to me. I have had this conversation with Taylor before with like the Laravel stuff. He's like the same as me, but worse in a lot of ways in the sense that like just doesn't do anything, any like intentional marketing activity. <laughs> and uh, he's always like, oh, I got to figure out a way to like advertise Forge more like his um, server provisioning tool. And I've said to him like, why don't you like make a page in the docs that's like deploying Laravel. And the first thing in there is explaining how to do it with like your commercial tool. <laughs> and I think he eventually did that, but um, not many people have that advantage you know like you own like both things so if you're not like really thinking about that it's easy to just follow like whatever the traditional internet marketer advice would be where you're missing out on this like huge obvious way to like if you if an internet marketer knew you had that option they would tell you to do it but no blog post or book that you ever read is even going to really can like point that out because who has that advantage you know totally yeah I love that. Ruben Gomez told me something where I was like, I'm thinking about like a couple ideas for marketing tuple and threw out some things. And he was like, those all sound fine, but anyone can do the things that you've mentioned. But there are things that only you can do that other people can't do. Like, can you do those instead? And then you'll have less competition. And I was like, damn, that is that is savvy. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Like that should be like the top of mind thing for like anything that you're doing. What can I do that no one else can do? I think I've heard you talk about that before too. With regards to, I can't remember what you were talking about before. I think it was back in like the form keep days, even you were talking about like, how can we create like an artifact based on our data that nobody else could have created? Like, like stuff like that, which I think yeah. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It's a smart guy. Also, it's, it's striking to me, like how you and Taylor, and I think like West boss to some degree and other people. <laughs> West boss is actually probably the worst of all <laughs> in yeah. terms of the no marketing stuff. Kind of have this like um, <laughs> not internet marketing, not analytics focused, like thinking big picture about it and also are kind of making ridiculous amounts of money from this. Yeah. And I, sometimes I wonder if that's like correlated in like a causation sense, you know what sure. I mean? Or if totally. it's just outliers, it, you know? Yeah. Um, right. Um, I, I don't know that I would go so I, far as I want to say believe that like there's an element of like by not wasting brain cycles on those low leverage activities you're putting your efforts into things that actually drive sales like today me and Steve spent two hours putting together another refactoring UI Twitter tip you know what I mean and when I have like 11 emails from people who want to be like refactoring UI affiliates that I've just ignored which would be that would be the internet marketer thing to put my effort into right but sales are probably double today what they were any other day just from like putting out a tweet so yeah don't know that's pretty good what's the usual sales day for refactoring UI at this point uh so in the last seven days the daily average is 1500 us nice which is strong for us yeah. i think like especially for a book that's been out for over a year now Wow, it's been that long. Um, yeah. yeah. We just cracked um, 2 million this week. Total, total sales. sales. Which Congrats, is pretty insane. Awesome. <laughs> Multiple so, millions. Yeah. It's a million each. You know what I mean? That's like, cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Million um, for you, million for Steve. Pretty soon that becomes real money. Yeah. And that's US dollars. That's almost 3 million Canadian. So. Freedom bucks. Yeah, for sure. That's Speaking awesome, of dude. money and pricing... Uh, I got like another eight minutes if you're interested in answering some pricing questions or having a pricing discussion. You know me. So like we've been trying to figure out the pricing for Tailwind UI and I have a bunch of different questions about it. But right now our plan is like we have like a bunch of marketing site components, landing page elements and stuff, and then like application UI components. So we're thinking what we're going to do is like sell those as separate packages or you can buy like a bundle and get both at a discount. And that's kind of what like we will be launching with. But what I've been trying to figure out is like, should there be tiers of any kind or any sort of like multiple licensing models? And my gut is like, no, because I want to 
try doing something simple. But when you compare it to anything else out there, like most things like this charge per project, for example, it's like a bootstrap team might be like $49 to use it for a project that has no paying users. That's like their distinction, which I find kind of interesting. So if you're building tuple, the backend tuple app where people can manage their team members and stuff with a bootstrap theme, you cannot use the $49 license because it's only for like making a website where anyone who has an account has a free account. And then for most of those themes, if you did want to use it in the tuple case, it's 500 bucks and that's just for one site. Or they now have a $150 multi-site license, again, with no paying users. So that's like their three pricing options. And until like a couple days ago, they had all those really buried on the site. Like if you just went and added something to your cart and bought it, you would just get the single site license with um, no paying users. And you almost never would have even known that there was like other licensing options because it was like a little drop down that you never would have seen. But now when you go to check out it's like three big radio buttons right in your face which one you have to choose so in some ways i find it interesting because they're like really normalizing these super high prices for their stuff because that like 4.99 price was like invisible and now it's like in big bold letters right on the purchase page so there's that element and i guess what i'm getting at with that too is like that is i haven't really talked about pricing publicly but i always talk about things on your podcast because not everyone listens to your podcast who, who follows me. So I feel safer. But what we were thinking is like probably like 149 each for each of the kits and like 249 for like the bundle. And the idea would be use them on as many sites as you want. And it doesn't matter if it's a commercial product or a free product. You said there's two kits? Marketing yeah, there's and, the, and the app. There's the marketing kit and then like the app kit. Okay. But then I saw this bootstrap stuff and I was like, I was already planning on being able to point people to the bootstrap kind of hidden pricing and saying like, if you think this 249 is expensive, like for what we're allowing you to do with it, it's so cheap compared to every other option out there. But now it's like obviously cheap because the bootstrap pricing is in your face. (laughs) I don't really want it to be cheap. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I also don't want to price it only for like companies who have like a clear ROI on it. I also want to make it accessible to people who are just like i've got an idea for a side project but i'm mostly a rails developer and this would really help me move faster and probably my side project's never going to go anywhere Um, so i don't want to price those people out because those are most of the people who probably bought our book and we have that quantity play to our advantage i think but then i also don't want to do like a oh here's like a hobby pricing um, and charge everyone that. And now Ben Ornstein, when he wants to rebuild the tuple backend, pays $79. And when uh, a professional designer would have charged him $2,000 a page or something. That's kind of my brain dump. I'm kind of curious what like your general thoughts are on pricing something like this. I think it could go up. And not just because of the bootstrap thing, but like I was like thinking about like icon sets, which are like similar, I guess. And like there are like three hundred dollar icon sets. Totally, yeah. And and that's like you can't even you're not even close to done after you buy the icon set. Yeah, I agree but with like, that. But you're like way further along if I grab these like component libraries. Yeah, and I also think in a similar point, if we just wanted to sell like individual templates, which we never want to do, but like say you were building like the tuple pricing page and you couldn't figure out how to design it and you could go to Tailwind UI and pay 50 bucks to get like a fully responsive well-designed like big complex pricing grid that would handle all the content that you wanted to put in it i feel like probably that's a no-brainer in a lot of ways to spend like 50 bucks to save you like the next week of dicking around with html on something but at the same time like i think there's also like an upper limit where people just won't pay that much for anything even if like the value is there yeah well that that gets me less excited like the idea of like i have a specific use case let me go buy like the the component i need versus like spend more but then have this big library and i know i can come back to this if i need a thing from it yeah but say like there's 300 components and they're worth 20 bucks each that's like a six thousand dollar component kit in terms of the value you're getting say but you're never going to pay $6,000 for it ever because it's just above that threshold of like what you spend on things in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and because I don't need all of the components probably, right? 
Yeah. Like I probably want five of them. And so yeah. if, mm-hmm. if all of them cost what five of them cost, then it feels like a, an awesome deal and it's matching like what my value is from it. Yeah, sure. I get like, yeah. Are you thinking about individual component sales? No, that's like okay. totally off the right. table. To me, okay. it's just like there's the two kits and there's the bundle. Like that is 100% what we're going to sell. The question is more about like, should it should the price for tuple be different than the price for someone who's working on a side project on evenings and weekends and has no revenue? It's a good and, question. And, and what is the metric for determining that? Is it because like you want every all three people who work at tuple to be able to log in and use it? Or is it because tuple has an uh, annual revenue over a certain threshold? Or is it because tuple gets email support and other people don't? You know what I mean? Like It feels like this is a pretty challenging thing to like segment. Like yeah. we could just say like, oh yeah, we're not using it for commercial purposes. And like we share the login around in the team Slack or whatever. And it's like, we buy the cheap version. Sure. I mean, I think you always run that risk if you do like a non-commercial licensing or whatever. I think in my opinion, some people are going to do that, but I th- I don't think that many people would because you're using it to build something that you're putting publicly on the internet. And to me, that kind of feels like stealing a, f- a commercial font. Like I would never launch a site with a font that I didn't pay for. Ethics aside, just out of fear of like, I'm literally putting this in public. These people can find it and see that I did it, even though the odds of that are zero. But you're exposing yourself when you do that. It's not like downloading a, a movie from the Pirate Bay or something, right? It was like, no one knows that I'm doing this. It's like a secret. So I'm not going to get caught. But <laughs> right. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And so like you wouldn't capture every, everybody, but a lot of people would just be honest about it and buy the right license. If you, if yeah, you had the and, right. And if the way we were doing this was like the, the quote unquote, like commercial licensing was just like more expensive than whatever we were planning to charge already, then it comes at no loss to us. Cause it's not like we're lowering the other price to introduce this one. Like there's multiple ways to think about it, right? Like say we're thinking like 249 was a good price and we felt comfortable charging that to people who were working on a side project, but it just seemed too low to charge to tuple. Now we can have like the 499 license or whatever. And if only 10% of people are honest, we still made more money than if we just didn't offer that. But it also introduces like complexity into the purchasing process. Yeah. Like what if you just decided that your preferred customer is the, the business's that will pay more and just price it there. And that's just the, the price. I just think we don't have enough of those in our audience to make up for making that decision. Like we have 15,000 people on the email list. Okay. Is that it? And, uh, you should do some marketing. And that's just the Tailwind UI landing page email list. We also have another 60,000 on the refactoring UI mailing list for us to cross promote it to at some point, right? Just to let them know that we're even doing it because I think there is going to be a huge overlap in that audience. And there's no way that is like 70,000 startups who don't have a design team. I was talking to Ian Landsman about this yesterday, actually, and he made a point that like probably a lot of businesses who would be in the position to pay like the business price are already spending money on design. I have to believe that the majority of people who are interested in the product are people who are getting design as like some big obstacle for them, Right. I don't know. What's an example of like a smallish company that probably still has a designer? Like even like Cart Hook wouldn't be a customer. You know what I mean? And they're still like a pretty small kind of internet business in our sort of like bootstrapper SaaS microconf type of world. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you don't want to price out the, the people that are more amateur. I think I'm afraid to price out yeah. those people. I find that convincing. That makes sense to me. So it sounds like the best thing we've got so far is like some reasonable price like 249 for most people and then something that's two or three times higher based on some segmentation of your uses for business purposes. Yeah. Or you're using it for business purposes that like, if you look at uh, Laravel Nova is like a backend um, admin kit for Laravel and they have for like a, I think they have like a solo pricing and like a business pricing. And I think they do it based on if you make less than $20,000 a year from the project that you're using it on, you can use this the hobbyist or solo one. If you make more than that, you can you you pay like the business price. Um, so I thought something like that would be kind of interesting because like I don't like the non-commercial use versus commercial use thing because everyone who's going to buy something like this is aspiring to like get some like side revenue coming in, right? So I think that just like puts this weird like blocker in front of them and 
makes it harder to think like, uh, well, I'm being a cheater by buying the non-commercial one, but I can't justify spending enough to buy the commercial one. So my gut is to just do the one and just keep it super simple. But I, there's always that like price optimization, worry about like leaving money on the table for like literally no reason. It's true. And you probably would be like, I imagine you would lose less in confusion than you would make in higher sales. One thing I've seen, I ran into this cause I'm like, we sent it for like the segment startup program. It's so like we get free segment for a couple of years and then like they have a bunch of partners that we also get free stuff from. And uh, they have this thing where it's like you can use, uh, you can get a year of free mix panel as long as you've raised less than $2 million. Interesting. So just like target venture capital backed <laughs> companies <laughs> specifically. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's that, that this, that's the exact right thing, but an, a nice attribute of that is like, it's actually pretty easy to see if someone has raised $2 million or more, like to see how much money they've raised sure because so people talk about that all publicly. public information yeah yeah so that's like maybe like if there is like some sort of segmentation strategy where it's like you could ostensibly check this and so people are more likely to to do the right thing yeah so you think that's better than like the arr thing because that could totally be private information um, and someone maybe i don't know it's i mean you can usually tell kind of right like yeah. oh they have 75 employees so <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you know yeah and yeah and like really you're not going to go investigate this right no like, so no it's, it's literally like a honor system thing i mean even like the way the refactoring ui team licenses work is like that when you buy a team license for refactoring ui it's not like there's some complex system that emails a copy to everyone on your team it's just you paid more and now put it in your company dropbox and you have permission to do that whereas before you didn't have that permission and we don't make a ton of money on their team sales like a bit for sure but I guess it's kind of a similar situation where it's like if we didn't do that, we'd just be leaving money on the table for nothing. And by doing it, we've um, some people are honest and happy to pay because they understand that that's a more fair price to pay when you're sharing something with six people. I just worry about like how do we do all that on the pricing page without like, okay, so now there's two kits and a bundle and yeah. two prices for each one. That, and, yeah, I was thinking that um, same thing. Yeah, hard. Mm-hmm don't know but maybe we just do it the really simple way and uh move on yeah i mean that doesn't sound that bad if that's where 99 percent of the revenue is going to come from is the lower price anyways right. then it feels like that's a good point probably not something to over optimize hmm. yeah but maybe i'll just give you a different price anyways me in particular like yeah, you in particular perfect man that that tweet that i retweeted today about like if you your friend has done something and you like it you should buy it and pay full price oh yeah i didn't see that but yeah. i 100 percent agree with that strong strong agree that resonated real well i think my biggest pet peeve is like say you have a friend who runs like an airbnb and it's like some cool cottage you want to go to or something and you're like yo can i like rent your cottage for like the weekend and like what's the friend rate it's like well actually like there's like a limited number of times this person can like sell this for per year so by asking for that you're just like taking money from them you know what i mean <laughs> like if anything you should be like what do you normally charge like for the weekend like 900 bucks okay well we'll give you 1200 bucks and uh also you can stay up there with us that weekend too so we can ride your boat around and have fun <laughs> you know but yeah definitely agree support your friends yeah totally like i bought refactoring ui i'm sure you didn't notice but like paid for it with I had, real money. Like, i actually got like a notification because i set up some special back-end oh. rules where it's like if anyone at a tuple.app <laughs> buys it send me an email no cool um but yeah thank you i appreciate that i bought your rails course i bought tuple oh yeah thank yeah you were first yeah. person ever to do so yeah, yeah. and th but then you charged us back which was super rude yeah, I did a chargeback yeah. uh, because it didn't live up to my expectations and <laughs> I am too introverted to ask for a refund. <laughs> yeah, we actually haven't had any chargebacks yet. We're still that's good. I think that's because like the companies that you sell to are not the type of companies that do chargebacks. They're the type of company that accidentally pay for something they're not using for four years until their credit card expiration number changes. Yeah, and the yeah. that's our business fail. model. Yeah. Uh, do you have to go or do you have time for one more thing? I have time for one more thing. I'm waiting for Steve to get here for us to go lift weights in the garage. Oh, nice. So, Oh, is Steve, yeah. Steve could do a, a cameo. Yeah, uh, he could. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> if he shows up. Just speaking of pricing, 
we have this idea of like selling to freelancers. It's like our bread and butter is teams. And that's where like basically 95% of the revenue comes from is like the teams that are like a set group of people pairing together all the time. We also have sort of like gone back and forth on how well and how much and how publicly we like also support freelancer people buying the product because freelancers are kind of nice because they have a lot of clients and they spread it around to people. And sometimes the people they pair with eventually become uh, customers on teams and makes more money and like it, it's it's good for us. But like like when we redesigned the pricing page, I removed the idea of a freelancer plan. And so it's just like just mentions teams. But like you can technically sign up as one person and just pay $25 a month and then add a lot of guests to your team. And like the guests can only see you and they can only pair with you. Um, but you're technically getting to use Tuple for 25 bucks a month and uh, no one else has to pay. I'm looking at the pricing page as, as you say this. Like I notice it does still say freelancers and engineering teams. Yes, it does. I, we got, I want to pull that card, off. But. Yeah, we actually yeah, added the word and I want to take it back out. Part of me almost wants to find a way to like not support freelancers at all. We have some weird logic in there where like we actually like set a flag on your thing. It's like you're a freelancer. Therefore, everyone you invite is going to be a an unpaid user. Yeah. Which is yeah, it is like it does feel like there's some complexity even in the user experience there because like I'm technically like a solo person who uses it and i have to decide between like adding a guest or adding a team member and to me it makes no difference so i just like don't know which one i'm supposed to pick totally um yeah we have some ui problems around it too and like it's kind of exacerbated by this these differences like because depending on what kind of team you have which you don't even really know clicking various things do different things um and so like i'm, I'm almost of this idea of like i either want to like i kind of want to stop supporting freelancers but like maybe even just give it to them for free where it's but like how we, does that decrease the complexity in the actual app if yeah. you still have to like not charge them but not give it to them for free yeah that maybe i guess it depends like what is your motivating reason for i feel like a lot of my impulses are to just focus and like simplify yeah and it's like the, the less complicated the pricing can be the less complicated the product can be the better generally i think that's true but i think there's also this like element of tuple as an app that is like so ripe for taking advantage of this like viral spreading across people you know what i mean that i i i have to believe that you could do like a smarter version of what screen hero did and still get all this money from teams while still just like letting people use it you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah i i think so too i think of that as like tuple like v2 or three Sure, like the like the freemium tuple, yeah. which is just like kind of a whole different yeah. project. Yeah. yeah. My thought right now is like just go after the bread and butter teams for now. Shut out everybody else. Make it less complex. And then someday, when we're ready, spend three months working on like a really good version of the free like making it freemium. And then ship that all at once with all of the edge cases and the UI and the pricing and all that figured out and like go after it really hard. But don't kind of do this weird in-between thing where we like want to make everybody happy. Yeah. I'm biased, obviously, because like I need the freelancer support. <laughs> I know. Right, yes, for, yeah. To well, work you, for me. You're grandfathered. Um, original but grandfathered. Yeah. I don't know. Right now, if someone's on a team, can they still have like friends that are like outside their team? Um, can they or if you add a guest, is it like linked with the whole team? It's linked. Because uh, what I was going to say team. is, I wonder if there's like an element of like the virality where you can, you can have it so that like someone who works at some company like Shopify who uses Tuple, they want to like pair on an open source thing with a friend of theirs, and they can tell that friend like, oh, like I have a Tuple account because we use Tuple at work, and I can we can do a call but like you kind of don't want your friend to be like in like the team guest list for everybody but that's kind of like an interesting way that you could get people to like spread tuple with their social networks outside of work and outside of just like contractors who they're bringing on to jobs at work without having to deviate from like only people on paying team accounts have proper accounts you know what i mean yeah there's like kind of a fundamental modeling maybe error i guess at the heart of the app which is like everyone is on a team like everyone has to have a team and a team Even like a freelancer they're just like the only team member yeah a freelancer has their own team and it just invites like you know guests basically to to their team and like the team determines the who pays 
And like those three things really should actually kind of be like, disc- there's like, there's actually like a many to many in there that we don't support right now, but like that, like real life wants to have happen kind of thing. Imagine a world where someone for some reason needed to be on two teams because they are, they're a part-time 20 hour per week developer for two different remote clients or something. And they're considered employees and then not guests because whatever, would both of those companies be paying for that seat? Like, would that person, and if you had to model it in a perfect world, would you want that to be double built? Because each company has five members and they don't know that this person is on the other team that it's already being paid for. Yeah, that's, a, that's an education <laughs> I hadn't even thought about. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is kind of to me like the UTM's parameters thing, where it's like, <laughs> we're growing plenty fast without like supporting everything in the world. And like, yeah, we can do more and optimize more and we probably will eventually. But like right now, it's like the simplicity is calling to me as opposed to the like flexibility and perfect modeling. Tough one, man. I understand if I was in your shoes, I would be thinking the same thing. But from my shoes, it's like it's so sad that just like people who want to hack on side projects with their friends that they meet online can't use a good tool for doing that. Yeah. I mean, I. I really would be surprised if we never tried like the freemium thing. I, I don't think the destiny of the app is that it's just like a question of when could you get rid of it without like making it impossible in the sense that like, someone could still sign up for a one person team and still have guests uh, or, or is yeah. what you're saying teams have to have two or more people on them. Yeah. All of a sudden, I, I, you know yeah I, mean? I, I don't even have a clear picture of what it means to get rid of it actually. Cause yeah. it kind of, it just is there sort of, is just one type of team now kind of. Cause you're always going to need to support guests for teams, right? Or you're planning to, or is that something that is also like possibly on the chopping block? That was like on my list of things of questions, I guess. Yeah. Where it's like, like that certainly simplifies our lives a lot where it's just like everyone. Needs I think that's like not realistic though. Yeah. To me, like if I think about like my experience working at like Titan with Matt, for example, like it was pretty common that we had like contractors in for jobs that weren't employees that we would need to work with. Right. So we looked at like how many teams are using the guests functionality and it's not that many. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It was like less, it was less than a quarter. Somewhere around there, about 20 something percent. Maybe it's fine. I mean, if the whole thing is, I was going to say like you could just like change all the marketing to just make it clear that it's just for teams, which you mostly already have, I guess, right? Except for the fact that it says freelancers and at the beginning of that card title. But if the real thing that you're trying to solve is like technical frustrations, then just changing the marketing messaging doesn't really help. So yeah. And this is also probably not even our biggest problem. So it's, it's just me noodling on pricing in my head, which I like to do. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, I get it from your perspective. Yeah. Sad to me from my perspective. So conflicted on it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I get it. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I got to run because I hear a lot of the children stomping around downstairs, uh, which means Steve's here because his wife and daughter and son came also. Nice. Yeah, that's the nice thing about working locally with people which you also get to experience totally people always kind of kind of funny like it's kind of like a weird surprise like when i can like say oh yeah me and steve like are uh benching today and they're like what you get to see steve in real life it's like, i don't get to see any of my twitter friends in real life that's like yeah we live in the same town you know that's a cool way to to do it still like we don't actually work in the same room ever but we can like get together as often as we want because we only live 20 minutes away from each other so nice that's yeah. good nice good old meat space yep all right man good, cool, good man. Chatting. well thanks for having me on the show again absolutely uh, i enjoyed ranting about telling you i garbage <laughs> it's good to have you here yeah all right take it easy all right see ya